0: Go Fee!
1: and welcome to another exciting edition of a little podcast called Ah Anglophilia. Ah ah, yes. I do feel I feel I feel it. Oh my name is Stephanie Callis. Wow, I'm Kaylee McMahon, and I can't follow that, um,
2: but I'm going to try. Uh, so hi, hi, friends. Today, we're going to be talking about a little show called A Bit of Fry and Laurie. Are you ready, Steph? Do you need a minute to
1: uh, take mm, some personal time? I'm about as repressed and brimming as the two young gentlemen who wrote and in this production oh it's been a long 17 years of celibacy i tell you a long 17 years of celibacy i'm about to pop right open yes
3: Oh, goodness. Hey guys, I'm here. I promise I'm here now. That was somebody else.
2: Okay, well, A Bit of Fry and Laurie premiered with a one-off pilot in 1987, then ran on the BBC for four seasons from 1989 to 1995. It is a sketch show by and with Bits of Stephen Fry and Bits of Hugh Laurie, comedy partners who, like so many before and after them, met at Cambridge and honed their comedy writing and performing chops as members of the infamous Footlights Club. They were introduced by fellow footlighter Emma Thompson, and though they are hazy on the particulars of their first encounter and offer slightly conflicting accounts, both men agree that it was platonic, comedic love at first sight. Says Fry, an instant collaborative relationship was formed. You read about people falling suddenly in love, about romantic thunderbolts that go with clashing cymbals, high quivering strings and resounding chords, and you read about eyes that meet across the room to the thudding twang of Cupid's bow, but it is less often that you read about collaborative love at first sight, about people who instantly discover that they were born to work Together or born to be natural and perfect friends. Laurie adds, It was pretty instantaneous. Luckily for us, being English, it was concealed by the need to actually do something. We agreed that we were going to do this show, and we had to start writing there and then. We made each other laugh, we played chess until the sun came up, and we barely had a crossword. I think we might have had three. One of them was of. I cannot remember what the other two were. That's not really natural, is it? Never to have a crossword? It feels odd. Despite these two men being eternally linked in the public's mind thanks to this show, joint appearances in such comedy classics as Black Blackadder and The Young Ones, and perhaps most notably their iconic portrayals of beloved P.G. Woodhouse characters Jeeves and Wooster. a bit of Fry and Laurie actually represents the final major collaboration of their partnership. But despite the separate paths their careers have taken in the intervening years, they remain best friends to this day. That is a love story if I've ever heard one. That is like the, the loveliest love story it is. of all time. This is a show that I had never seen before. And I kind of wish that I had, because we've talked a lot before about how it's fun to revisit something from your childhood that you have some sort of nostalgia for and appreciate it on a new level. But in this case, I think my enjoyment of it was sort of connected to the pandemic. Because in our season premiere, I said something about how My brain is just still not really functioning at maximum capacity, or normal capacity even. I've had a really hard time focusing on reading, and I think similarly, a lot of the style of humor in this is so verbally dense, and it requires you to be just a little bit smarter than I am in my current state.
3: I did not have a dissimilar experience. It kind of brought me back to when, <laughs> I mean, we can we can admit this now. I don't remember if we admitted it at the time, but um, we talked before recording our episode on the thick of it about like, uh, this one was hard to understand. They said words, there were plots.
1: <laughs> like, we're dumb uh, Americans. We don't understand comedy. <laughs> n-
3: not even about American, but I remember like we had just recorded our episode on Bottom, which was frankly very easy to understand. And then yeah. we go into something we had to actually pay attention to. And I remember thinking, oh no, like I have become so dumb. I am <laughs> like a pet that has never seen the outside world and interacted with other animals. I
2: I feel like both of us have kind of never gotten past our Richie and Eddie phases that we entered last
3: April. I mean, I'm definitely motorboating magazine foldouts for sure. But speaking <laughs> of motorboating and horniness, I will say like, <clears throat> obviously these two guys are hugely intelligent, educated Verbal virtuosos, virtuosos, all of those things. But they're also clearly just like making a lot of sex jokes that could have been written by like a middle school boy. (laughs) But on top of that, a lot of their more political shit was, again, Annoyingly timely. And even though they're going for like satirizing like English nationalism, being Americans, like, of-, of course, I'm seeing our own headlines in so many of these fucking punchlines. Oh, of course. There was always something for me to, you know, grasp onto, even in those moments where I'd be like, here I am, alone in my apartment, wearing no pants, watching this show. Ha Ha-ha, ha, ha 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 keep it together, what happened? Um, that's just kind of always <laughs> going to be the dull
2: ache in my psyche for many, many years to come, I feel. Fantastic. Yeah, the political references, they're both timely and timeless in a way, I would say, because the same problems, as we've mentioned on so many other episodes of this podcast, like they they persist and they just have like the the names and the specifics of the headlines change. But the overall, you know, problems of the conservative movement across all countries and all decades are pretty much unchanged.
3: I liked the sketch about the father demanding to talk to the headmaster about where Mm -hmm. his son learned that, quote, sexual intercourse, can often bring about pregnancy in the adult female, which is the Mm -hmm. most clinical and mundane way of explaining the miracle of Mm -hmm. pregnancy. There is (laughs) nothing about parts. It's just sexual intercourse, not even an explanation of what sexual intercourse is. But this father just cannot freaking handle it he demands an explanation as to why his son is suddenly saying this and he assumed that um his son was being exposed to gutter language on the playground and then can't believe that it's actually what's being taught in biology class and you know we come to learn that the father thinks that babies come from a man and woman getting married and buying a house and purchasing furniture and eating three hot meals a day and just waiting a bit which is great but it just got me thinking about how like there's still an uproar about sex ed of all things and of course oh, yeah. the headmaster is smart to say like well is this child your biological son like surely you have had sexual intercourse before and of course because this is a <laughs> sketch the answer is no but yeah in in mm-hmm. real life it's like you you know the way of the world like even if you do have certain religious beliefs that inhibit you from enjoying dirty jokes or or what mm-hmm. have you that that doesn't change the facts of life and I I know I just said the facts of life in the year of our Lord 2021, (laughs) but it doesn't change shit. But they like want it to.
2: Yeah, the idea that information is somehow offensive. Yes. So something that I wanted to say about like the two of their dynamic, there's a quote I read, I read another book this time. I, I read like my, I think, second or third book of 2021. So go me and my half-functioning brain anyway uh it's called soupy twists the full official story of the sophisticated silliness of stephen fry and hugh Laurie, and it was penned by none other than friend of the podcast comedy historian extraordinaire jem roberts hey, dude. Ooh, shout out hi jem <laughs> anyway one of them was talking about how they don't really make for like a classic comic duo because they're so similar you know they're, they're like the same height it's not like you can have like oh there's like the short fat stupid one and then there's the tall weird one like they they don't have roles that they necessarily will automatically fall into where like oh this is the straight one this is the silly one this is the angry one this is the happy one but I do think that and I think partially because of Jeeves and Worcester and also because of the roles that they played on Blackadder which we of course discussed at length in the episode where we talked about that show a lot of times you will have Stephen Fry as the smarter of the two and I mean they, they do switch back and forth but there's something about Hugh Laurie's face and his eyes that just make him the perfect gullible lovable idiot i mean not that he's lovable as this father but meanwhile fry is able to just play it completely straight and be very laid back and say things very calmly and still be very very fucking funny with everything that he says oh yes
3: years of concentration on remaining calm through this period (laughs) where he was not having sex it it, (laughs) when, when i remembered that it was fascinating to think and go like whoa most of the stuff i've watched
2: him in He wouldn't get laid. So clearly that's the secret to greatness, everybody. Stop having sex. (laughs) You should only have babies by getting hot meals and buying ass. That's
3: funny, yeah. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) he says that, you know, if there were a god, then why would he have put the pleasurable bits next to the nasty bits? And I don't know. I think that's kind of an adolescent argument. I think he was justifying a lot to himself. And I also think that he must have changed his mind after
2: someone ate his ass it does change a person i'm not gonna lie (laughs) anyway he
3: would probably agree with me when I say
2: things like eating ass is au courant I feel (laughs) like that's that's become one of your catchphrases on this show everybody take a drink I'm sure you're gonna mention Rowan Atkinson later well he was in this show looking hot there you go one of my
3: catchphrases Uh, please don't tell me that I have catchphrases
2: I think it's only that one it's only eating ass is au courant because you said it like three times eating ass is au courant but I think I I said
3: it twice in like an argument telling you like no trust me eating asses is oh,
2: <laughs> you keep saying it you're digging yourself
3: <laughs> further and further into but, but this like per, oh. per
2: episode
3: <laughs> while
2: remembering that doesn't count i know i know i'm just i'm just being silly with you. That's okay. Anyway, yeah, there is an awful lot of, you know, sort of dirty adolescent kind of humor in this, which I was sort of surprised by because I think that these two gentlemen have such a reputation for being so, you know, buttoned up and sophisticated and classy and like, oh, they came through Cambridge and blah, blah. blah. And like, especially because at the time when they were coming up, It was sort of like in the beginning of alternative comedy, which we've talked about when we talked about like The Young Ones and French and Saunders and like this exciting new generation of comics who were uh, kind of flying directly in the face of everything else that had been done before. But I think that these guys, despite like, I I think it's probably just the fact of where they went to school and like how how tall they are and like how they look that they've been kind of stereotyped. Mm -hmm. Uh, as like, oh, well, they are very classy, and they're very proper. But like, if you actually there there's like, <laughs> there's that one sketch about like the comfy pee and comfy poo, like there's so much very juvenile potty humor in this. And then I think that I don't know, for whatever reason, viewers seem to latch on to like at the end of every episode for the final two seasons they end with you know Hugh at the piano and Steven hilariously mixing a ridiculous cocktail with some some silly name And like, they're clearly sending up that image. They don't actually think of themselves as like, oh yes, we are sophisticated people. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if everybody who sees that gets the irony that they were going for. Does that make sense? Oh, that, that
3: totally makes sense. I think that it's a lot easier to maybe, especially over there, judge somebody based on where they went to school and what their accent sounds like. But how that could somehow get in the way of all the obviously silly shit in there. Like one of my favorite cocktail recipes was called a long, confident suck. (laughs) I wanted to bring up, talking about the different comedic traditions, I think it's great, and I don't know why this didn't click for me until I was watching the show, but the fact that in the Young Ones episode, Bambi, Scumbag Faces Off versus Footlights College, Mm. Oxbridge, and it's against a bunch of actual Footlights, Fry and Laurie included, Mm -hmm. so, you know, hats off, there was zero pretension there, and they knew it was all in the name Mm -hmm. of, like, being funny it's all comedy right. it's ridiculous that people should really even be separated by these completely arbitrary ideas of well where'd you go to school and how did you come up in comedy mm-hmm. but Monty Python and I know that Monty Python had its influences as well that we haven't delved into very much as of yet yeah. but you could see definite like shades of Python where there would be a sketch sure. and then we cut to two guys commenting on the sketch that was one Absolutely. thing where I immediately went okay python as well as the um, man-on-the-street interviews.
2: Right, right, the Vox Pops. As
3: Fry and Laurie went on, I kind of thought those jokes got stronger and stronger, like really good one-liners. One of my favorite ones was Stephen Fry dressed as a woman. And they do do interesting um, women's voices compared to Python. I did appreciate that they just yes. sort of spoke like human beings. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. she's talking about, like, a brand of, fr- <laughs> of frozen, like, turkey legs and about how they're mm-hmm. so versatile and the way she says, I have one in right now. Like, obviously she's... <laughs> She's talking about the oven, but it sounds like she's talking about how she has one in. And perhaps that is more sophisticated of a sex joke than something blatant, but it's still just a stupid sex joke. And they're littered throughout the series. So even though there were moments where some of the wordplay, I'd kind of go to myself, oh, <laughs> yes, I am British if I made a <laughs> joke with words. At the end of the day, it was plenty playful and stupid in the way I want things to be.
2: Yeah, no, you're you're right to, to point out the fact That there's a lot of sort of meta fourth wall breaking auto commentary there and sometimes they'll do the very python like thing of like well this sketch isn't working out and then just kind of abandon it or like oh i don't think that you have any idea how to end this and like it's very funny and very self-conscious and i think a lot of the times it's just it's them you know beating any possible critics to the punch and it's also them how they themselves feel about a given sketch it's a very self-effacing very british sort of attitude to adopt and um, on the subject of, I'm going to share another quote because the thing you said it was like, oh, oh, I'm British, I like words. I I think that they, they come by it honestly, particularly Stephen Fry. It's possible that a viewer, particularly an American viewer, could mistake it for pretension. But Fry speaking about his love affair with words. There are those who loathe puns, anagrams, and wordplay of any description. They regard practitioners as trivial, posy, feeble, nerdy, and facetious. As one such practitioner, I do understand the objections. Archness, cuteness, pedantry, and show-offiness do constitute dangers. However, as a non-singing, non-games-playing, dancing, painting, diving, running, catching, kicking sort of person, words are all I have. As the old cliché has it, they are my friends. I like to say them, weigh them, poke them, tease them, chant their sound, gaze at their shape and savor their juiciness, and yes, play with them. I take pleasure in their oddities and pleasures and contradictions. It saddens me that the French talk of the jouissance of language, its joyousness, juiciness, ecstasy, and bliss but that we of all peoples, with English as our mother tongue, do not. Well said. (laughs) (laughs) A sketch that took me completely by
3: surprise, because I couldn't quite believe they went there, was... The Cricket Announcers. <laughs> yes, that I was... couldn't really quite believe they did it because... Really? It seemed like there was only one direction for that sketch to go in and they went in it. I guess it's because it's something that I've been quietly observing for so long is just two people, maybe particularly men... Just agreeing with everything the other says and just stroking each other. Not necessarily literally, (laughs) but intellectually and verbally just being on the same page and, you know, repeating each other and congratulating Mm -hmm. each other and saying the same damn thing to the point where they... In this case, they literally end up coming as they scream about English
4: cream. Glorious July afternoon. What a splendid sight it is, Peter. It's an absolute picture, isn't it? The sun beating down now. Beautiful day. Crowds. Not a seat to be had anywhere. Packed house. Yeah, absolutely packed. And the grass looking so lovely. Green as anything. Green as you like. Absolutely as green as could be. Grass has never looked greener. Yeah, what a scene, what a scene. Marvellous scene. Oh, I say, look, there's a bus. Oh, yes, look, there's a beautiful old English, what is that, is it number 29? It's a 29 bus, yes. Beautiful English 29 bus, yes, what a marvellous scene. Grass, sun, bus, marvellous. Yes, yes, and that bus making its way now along the Garboldisham Road. Garboldisham, beautiful village there. Oh, an absolutely delightful village, yes. Garboldisham, what a lovely name. Oh, lovely name. Lovely English name. Hello, hello, there's some people getting off the bus. Oh, oh, look out. You have to enjoy good old English strawberries and cream. Oh, English, yes, yes. Watch out for those German strawberries. Yes, not the same. No, not the same thing at all, no. English strawberries and cream. 29 bus going down the Garbaldisham Road. Ah, Cream. Garbaldisham. Crowds. (laughs) The South Downs. Ovaltine. Cream. Heaps of cream. Cream mm. and lawnmowers. Oh, summer holidays in creamy chroma. Oh. Oh. Vaulting over a stile in a country lane. Catching sticklebacks oh. in an old tin can. Oh. Honestly, Nanny, I never touched them. Piano lessons <laughs> with Mrs Duckworth. Father's hands on the steering wheel. <laughs> Sit up straight. Oh, going faster and faster. Locked in the cupboard. Oh, for being rude to Mrs Howlett. <laughs> Take the Woolseley for a run. Oh, or England, Elgar. South Down. Um, Bath Olivers. Oh, play the game. Elbows off the table. Who's a brave soldier then? Oh, Nanny's oh, 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 hands all steamy and starched. England and cream. Creamy old England. Custard
0: cream. Strawberries and cream. Strawberries. English cream. Creamy. England. England. Cream. The most cream of old England. Oh, 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 I say. Oh, I say. Oh, my word. Oh. Oh.
4: Oh. 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 And, uh,. Oh and Eric Bristow steps onto the okey now.
3: <laughs> it was just unexpected in a great like, oh, they're they are painting this picture that I've had in my head. I never expected that I would
1: see this in something.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another sketch that I love, speaking of cricket and nationalism, was the one with the library and the censored books. Yeah, Hugh Laurie plays a guy who walks into a library
3: asking for a book called The West Indies, A Nation of Cricketers. And he's handed this book by Stephen Fry and by um, a woman
2: actress, maybe, I don't know if you you know Uh, her. Deborah Norton, I believe. Yes, She was their regular guest star for the first season or two.
3: They hand him this book that is truly visibly been ripped apart. There are no pages in this thing except... (laughs) Like two flimsy pages that have obviously also been cut. So, all that remains in this entire book is the West Indies aren't much good at cricket. And Hugh Laurie says, we haven't won a test series against the West Indies in 14 years. And the way that the two librarians just deny this and make it into, Mm -hmm. you know, I suppose you'd rather read books about England losing than England winning. And Hugh Laurie says, well, yes, if it's true, then I feel sorry for you. I mean, I think about that happening with the banning of critical race theory in schools, and I also Mm -hmm. think about it reflecting on my own goddamn education. Mm. I should know so much more about the land I am on. I should know so yes. much more about the people who are fucking here first. And that's just one example of, of something that I should know yeah. more of. And I'm sorry, but like, I do think, oh, it, it is horrible. What are they going to teach kids that people came here from Africa and wanted to help build <laughs> buildings and, you know, make <laughs> sugar? But I don't know. I learned that. Indians and pilgrims sat peacefully across the table sharing corn. <laughs> like, that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not the
2: falsest of equivalents. Yeah, yeah. And the idea of, of information is somehow dangerous or offensive. It's just like with the, the sex ed, just presenting a very simple thing that England lost cricket like that that is somehow so offensive and I love when Stephen Fry says in that sketch may I say that I find your continued efforts to drag down and smear this country of ours to be frankly disgusting it's like it's it's terrible but it's so funny
3: oh yeah I I may be a librarian but I'm also an Englishman and if I had to choose Mm -hmm. and I think about that very argument a lot when we talk about something like patriotism because so Mm. much of patriotism is just hallmark nationalism, yes. right? I think about all the people who are in this moment right now trying to protect people whose rights are being stripped away. Like, that is patriotism. That mm-hmm. is, oh my God, look what's happening to my fellow countrymen in this country. I am going to save them because nobody else will. Like, that. that yes. is fucking patriotism. It's not just this arbitrary, well, we live here and therefore we are never going to question anything our leaders do unless our leaders are Democrats. <laughs> yes, I mean,
2: patriotism, yeah. if you think about what it actually, like it, at least in America, patriotism means dissent. It doesn't mean just blind loyalty. That was, that was the other guys. That was the redcoats. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, I remember reading something. I think Al Franken, oh, miss that guy. I think that he wrote in one of his books something about how conservatives love America the way that a afford- year old loves his mommy like mommy's good and knows everything and anyone who says anything bad about mommy is a mean bad man whereas democrats and the like love their country the way that you know an adult would love their parent like oh i want you to be better and i'm gonna maybe correct you sometimes and there is still like a deep love there but you can see the flaws and and just seeing them and pointing them out and trying to correct them doesn't mean that you love them any less if anything it's a it's just a much more mature and effective sort of love good on you al franken
3: I know. I know. I know. Let's just keep saying I know. Oh,
2: no. Oh, no. <laughs> so, as as much as we've talked about how there is a lot of verbal humor, so many of my biggest laughs in this were visual ones. Uh, I watched the whole third season when I was staying with my parents. And so my mom watched the season with me and she said, they have a really incredible wigs. And it's true. Like every, every time that they would enter with a new wig, I would just crack up. One of my biggest laughs was the one with the two monks who were talking about the little... I was hoping you <laughs> would little say that. <laughs> of non-dairy creamer. My parents and I laughed so hard that we like fully missed the first minute of dialogue, just looking at like <laughs> their weird expressions and their like kind of... Wednesday Adam's hair, it was phenomenal. I'm telling you, women's wigs. You can tell when you're looking yes, okay. at one that's I, w- man. I would like to make an official retraction. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier on in this podcast, when we were discussing Holy Grail, Stephanie said that Sir Robin is wearing what is clearly a women's wig. And I said, Well, what makes it a women's wig? Because in my defense, in the 1970s, men's and women's hair. You know, there was like, it, it was not quite as clear cut as it is today. However, I officially changed my stance, not with viewing a bit of Fry and Laurie, but when we viewed Samurai Cop together <laughs> and the lead actor, it was told that filming was done, got a haircut. He had this long kind of like feathered Fabio like hair. And then they <laughs> made him reshoot fully half the movie wearing what is indisputably a women's wig. And I, I just want to apologize to 2018 staff for not understanding <laughs> That there is a difference.
3: I, I knew you'd come around. I'm I'm very patient. We should post um, that samurai cop montage on the on the website. Oh my God, but yeah, it's... I mean, if there's any industry that is not hip to you know fluidity, I gotta say, like wigs. Yeah, they're probably not going to figure that one out. Um, But yeah, those those monks cracked me the fuck up. They are talking about how the devil has possessed an individual serving of creamer because it could not be opened. (laughs) And the lid then did open in an irritating little V shape and spilled on the bishop's waistcoat. The pot is the most wicked pot. And I thought that was another, again, like stupid, but timeless slash timely sketch, because we have Mm -hmm. these medieval religious beliefs colliding with the modern world which we see Mm. too often, and maybe it is kind of low-hanging fruit to show like two weird religious fanatics flipping out over something as unimportant as a container of creamer. But um, have you seen the video of the creationist giving a really rudimentary explanation of evolution and then saying that if evolution is real, it should be in a jar of peanut butter? Oh, wait, what? No. There's this creationist, and he gives a really rudimentary explanation of evolution and then says that if evolution is real he should be able to open a jar of peanut butter and find quote new life
2: wow i mean i could just as easily fire back with if god is real god should put new life in a peanut butter jar. oh
3: yes that's <laughs> insane the video um peanut butter the atheist's nightmare <laughs> Oh, God. Which is already fundamentally untrue because leave me alone with a jar of peanut butter with or without a spoon and just hooey, we'll just tell your mother we ate it all. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, the whole argument is that the jar of peanut butter contains matter that has been exposed to light and heat and therefore should contain new life. And I and like had three hot meals a it's day. It's very similar to the freaked out yeah. monks, which is a joke, but the <laughs> peanut butter, I don't think it is.
2: You're very right that making fun of religion is low-hanging fruit, but you know what? Sometimes the lowest hanging fruit is also the sweetest. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm directly contradicting my uh, enlightened position on religion that I espoused in my Vicar of Dibley episode. I liked those Christians. I think my single favorite sketch in the entire show was was the one where Stephen Fry played Michael Jackson. Oh, that was really funny.
0: It was okay so so, dorky. so
2: first you just see Hugh as a as a talk show host saying and now my guest Michael Jackson and I went uh-oh cuz like it you know it's going to be Stephen Fry and I was like how is this going to go but it's just Stephen Fry coming out as himself wearing just like a boring suit is his regular face using his regular accent it's just very very funny and um maybe we can play a clip of the of the interview portion of this
4: cuz i know you must be frantically busy at the moment things are a bit hectic just now yeah <laughs> because i believe you you've actually got a new coming out absolutely right a brand new album even even the little hole in the middle is new (laughs) (laughs) I love those clothes by the way oh thank you yes this is a pretty plain Irish thorn proof actually I mean I've very hard-wearing but I've had it for years right I bet right now there are kids all over the world desperately trying to copy that look well (laughs) perhaps (laughs) 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 Now, (laughs) (laughs) now Michael um You've been in the music business for, well, most of your life. Nigh on. Michael, I have to put this to you, this is, uh, this is difficult for me, but there have been allegations over the years that you have, with the aid of plastic surgery,
0: <laughs>
4: set about altering your appearance. Yes, well, that's, that's just the newspapers, isn't it, you know? Yes. <laughs> so you, you completely deny this? Well, I don't, I don't think it's even worth denying, really, you know. I think what it boils down to is people being perhaps jealous of my success and uh, you know they'll print anything right right now we have actually got a photograph of you here <laughs> um, this uh, this is when you just signed to motown uh, it's an early publicity shot it has to be said you do look quite a bit different there <laughs> i was 8 years old for goodness sake <laughs> i mean we've
2: all changed My favorite part is that then he performs a a new single from his new album called Move It On Out, Girl. And it cuts to Stephen Fry. Like, first of all, it cuts to some some backup dancers who are like actually dancing well. And then it's Stephen Fry, like big, awkward, ungainly Stephen Fry, just like, you know, moonwalking, quote unquote. But he's just walking on a treadmill. (laughs) I fucking fell apart. And then he's lip syncing to this fake song called Move It On Out, Girl. And, like, dancing in just this very, very awkward way. And, my God, like, it was so relatable like when I try to be cool. Like that's you don't necessarily think of Stephen Fry as being like a you know, physical comedian, but that was just such a brilliant bit of physical comedy where he was just basically being himself trying to dance. And um <laughs> this this is a slight tangent, but this is why that moment was so relatable to me was um so Stephanie and I have, as we mentioned, we've been having a lot of movie nights together, and I I love my co host for many reasons. The latest of which is that she has introduced me to the wonder that is Magic Mike XXL,
0: which is a movie that I did not know that
2: I needed until she introduced it one fateful Monday night. I highly recommend it. It's a very fun, silly romp with some very good, very sexy dancing, and, um... (laughs) You know, if you've listened to our bottom episode, you may recall that early on in the pandemic, when I was starting to lose my mind a little bit, I had a phase where I just decided that I wanted to be Rick Mayle. And so I was like walking around my apartment by myself, kind of impersonating him and channeling him. And, you know, similarly, like when High School Musical 3 came out, I learned a bunch of the dances from that. Like, I just kind of want to emulate the things that I love. And so I, you know, one day I was like, oh, I want to, I want to dance like Mike. (laughs) And I put on pony on my iTunes, and I, oh, I'm way too old and not talented enough for this shit. Because I ended up hurting my lower back, essentially trying to hump the floor. <laughs> it was, it was a low point. But I felt that I needed to share that because that was the me me trying to be Channing Tatum is very much like Stephen Fry trying to be Michael Jackson.
3: That is true. Okay, when you put it that way, <laughs> I think that that's a very good analogy oh man that's really really funny does your back still hurt oh no
2: no no, no. It, i i only heard it in the moment there was no long-term damage i'm fine okay good not. because you know in in the sitcom version you would have thrown your back out and you wouldn't have
3: been able to get to the blah 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 i got no blah 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 to get to it's a pandemic people okay um i did appreciate the musical numbers in the show mm-hmm. uh very much yeah another funny Not recurring, I guess it recurs once after its debut is the sketch of the Bishop and the Warlord, where (laughs) Stephen Fry is a bishop who is the lead singer of a... Light metal. Light metal. He's just kind of behind a keyboard lip-syncing. Then Hugh Laurie is the long-haired heavy metal guy on guitar. And Hugh Laurie sings a lot of (laughs) clever songs as well. But there's a song Mm -hmm. that I can't even quite describe. But do you remember the bizarre song that Stephen Talk sings... That's like, it's you, you,
2: you. you." Okay,
3: (laughs) so he's just in like a white suit and a white wig and none of it makes sense, and it is so good. I googled like, what are they referring to? Like, am I missing something? I want to know if they're parodying a specific person. Mm. Like, Hugh Laurie does an obvious Bruce Springsteen parody, like, earlier, so I mm-hmm. thought like, what are they, sure. what are they doing? Um, the only thing that popped up for me was something called Windmills of Your Mind by Noel Harrison, and if you watch that video, oh, I guess familiar. you can kind of see how they would be a similar genre, but once again, I was watching the sketch, and it was tickling a very specific part of my brain that just had me like locked in going yes I like this I like this very much I don't know why (laughs) but I felt like how I feel when I see the Dino and Dickie segment in the young ones in that I feel like Mm. I know what they're parodying even though I've literally never seen it
2: yes
1: that's a very that was kind of how
3: I felt when I was watching the you
1: it's you you you
0: you yes you 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 it's You I'm speaking to, you the sparkle
4: of my fright, the goddess of what seems, the starling of my night, the parcel of my dreams, just the parcel of my dreams, oh yes.
2: I have an important question about that sketch, was he wearing a women's wig or a men's <laughs> wig? <laughs> huh. That's a How great How would question. you categorize
3: that one? That is a great question. I'm thinking about it. Uh That seems like a good example of what you were saying with like a Python 70s male haircut not being very easy to to pin down, I think.
2: Right, yeah, it's not like Samurai Cop where it's like, that is a Charlie's angel, that is a woman, no matter what. Even if men have hair that length, that's a lady hair. Yes. (laughs) A lady Uh, hair. A lady hair.
3: That was a very Fry and Laurie joke. (laughs) (laughs) A lady hair.
2: Oh, wow, thanks, high compliment.
3: (laughs) There was a man on the street interview that was funny but it also pissed me off and it's it's Hugh Laurie as a young man and he says yes I've uh, I've smoked pot
4: um only once uh, but it was it was strange really because uh, I got arrested and sent to prison and uh, my parents were shunned by the local community and my father lost his job and my mother became an alcoholic and my sister and I were put into care and now I'm homeless <laughs> smoking pot it's funny really isn't it <laughs>
3: It's like, wow. I mean, we talk about marijuana ruining people's lives. This is one such way the authorities get
2: involved. I realize that, you know, as a white person in America, it's very unlikely that that would happen to me. And that is, of course, very unfair. But like, as a child, I totally would have avoided pot. I mean, I still have, but like, that's not why. Because I would absolutely think that that would be the exact result. Like, the worst possible case scenario of consequences I don't know. I think I was one of the few kids that Dare really worked on. <laughs> God, that was the best when the cops would come in and talk to Deputy us. Deputy Joe, he was he was really funny and charming, I remember.
3: I thought so at the time too, but when I look back and think about him I'm like, what a what kind of cop were you, Deputy Joe? Like what what well, were you up to when you weren't
2: talking to kids and making us yeah, laugh? Yeah, no, I know. It's it's hard to think about cops in any kind of a positive light. But I do have I do have fond memories of that one guy and how he interacted with children. I'm a big friendly cop.
3: God, in <laughs> summer school between eighth and ninth grade, I took California history and health to get him out of the way. And in health class there was a different cop that came to talk to us and we're, you know, fourteen And he went over, like, gang slang. And then, of course, all of the slang was like, now who knows what it means if I say, I'm gonna jack your pen. answered that one and got it right but i thought like this is not you are not telling us anything we do not know thanks to hip-hop like what are you talking
2: when you said gang slang like i was really hoping that it would be like kind of west side story like hey daddy-o like that kind (laughs) of that would be some some pretty hep gang slang to be teaching the youth yes gonna jack your pen oh education <laughs> education is, is fantastic. so so yeah you could either be very well educated like fry and laurie and go to cambridge and learn stuff or you could go to freaking agora and learn a couple of gang slang words oh god do we want to talk at all about any of their recurring characters okay
3: help me out who are the recurring characters other than those government guys who I never quite bonded with? The spies, yeah. Tony and
2: Control. Yeah, there's those ones. There's also, I think their names are John and Peter, the, the businessmen who are always saying, damn, you know, that, yes. there's that. Okay. They're, I... like, they, they have a surprising number of recurring characters, but I agree with you that Those are not necessarily the most memorable sketches, and I think that a lot of the times the one-offs are more, I don't know, iconic.
3: (laughs) I mean, now that you've jogged my memory, of course I do remember those characters, but I did kind of notice midway that while there are characters they do, they certainly throw on the wigs, they put on the glasses, (laughs) they do this and that. They don't really do a lot to alter their appearances when they do the recurring characters, and they're is more than one sketch with, like, businessmen. And Mm -hmm. it took me a second to realize that Control and the other one were actually recurring characters. I'm like, what's all these, what are all these spies? I didn't know they were supposed (laughs) to be the same people.
2: Because that's how smart I am. They don't necessarily, yeah, change their appearances or their vocal manners very much from different characters. So it's not as easily distinguishable as, say, like, a League of Gentlemen character but I think that one exception to that would be Nettie slash Freddie, like where where Hugh Laurie plays like that very nervous guy with the gap in his teeth who's tasked with blowing up a government official in a restaurant by planting a bomb. Mm -hmm. That's one recurring character that really does stand out as as like separate from the rest of his characters Mm -hmm. oh I also really liked it's barely recurring because I think that there's maybe only two but um Gellion Gut Fright the guy who introduces those weird so I loved those sketches so 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 much me too the Garth Marenghi guy (laughs) yes exactly and that's again a perfect example of something that, that you were talking about where like I know exactly what this is even though I haven't literally seen the type of thing being parodied
3: once when i was on vacation with my mom we were in paris and it was late at night and we were just kind of channel surfing trying to find something that wasn't in french and we saw one of those exact kind of like you know mystery hour like kinds of things although it was modern which was kind of disappointing but it was still stupid and Uh. it was like this beautiful brunette english chick and She was just kind of sitting in like an ornate red velvety chair And there was like prop fake fruit in front of her, like this banquet of fruit. And she just read an Arthur Conan Doyle short story that was not that scary, Mm -hmm. but it was all about the music. And at one point, like you saw, like she threw her glass of wine, like at the fruit (laughs) while she was (laughs) reading the story or or reciting the story. So, yeah, I have seen something like that. But it also always brings me back to... Sesame Street. What? There was a puppet named Vincent Twice, and he'd say, I'm Vincent Twice. Vincent Twice, making fun of, like, Vincent Price.
2: Wow, I've never- Oh, and
3: he used to scare the shit out of me.
2: I never saw this Muppet. It's so crazy, because you and I have so many common TV references, because we were kids at the same time, but maybe Sesame Street, maybe we were just watching on opposite days or something, because I never I never saw Vincent Twice. Oh. I gotta
3: look him up. Maybe I only saw him once, but yeah, scared <laughs> You saw me. Vincent Twice once.
2: What a twist.
3: <laughs> what a soupy twist. One of the places where you do see recurring characters more often is the, the people on the street interviews. And they do come up with some great political satire. I love the one woman on the street saying, I'm a lifelong died in the wool. Don't know, really.
0: Mm-hmm. It
3: reminded me of like last year when I think both Dwayne Johnson and Matthew McConaughey came out as centrists. And it's like, ooh, congratulations, you are a centrist. What does that even mean? Because if you are in the center of Trump and Biden, you're a Republican. Like, what are you talking about? I am bravely undecided. I bravely sit back and say, you're all dumb. Okay,
2: thanks. Another great little Vox moment is my father was a conservative my mother voted labor so i suppose by rights i should be a liberal democrat but in actual fact i'm a nazi <laughs> <I was laughs> Like, oh boy i mean again those brits with their nazi humor and you know more relevant in america today than it has been in our lifetimes, certainly so <sighs> but good for you for being a centrist Dwayne and
1: Matthew,
3: fuck you. I know. I mean, I think that eventually Dwayne at least went ahead and endorsed Biden. Maybe I don't. I don't recall, but yeah, I do remember him coming out as a as a centrist.
2: Coming out as a centrist.
3: I know. While there is definitely a huge importance in questioning your own beliefs and in questioning the beliefs of the people around you whom you mostly agree with, I also think that it's dumb mm-hmm. to be like, "Well, I'm in the middle.
2: I'm in the middle. What does yeah. that mean?" Middle of who? I guess what it means is that you don't really have to do anything, which must be nice.
3: Well, yeah, because also we are talking about wealthy celebrities who get to have whatever views they want, really, and choose to either talk about them or not talk about them. But it is funny that some people choose to talk about them and in doing so reveal they have nothing to say. Mm, Yes. What is that about? Imagine having such an elevated opinion of yourself and your importance that you're like, I have an announcement to make.
2: I've got nothing. Yeah, I got, I got nothing to add to that. So I'm going to stop talking, (laughs) unlike them. Okay, cool. The season four opening sketch was one that really resonated with me, where they're just talking about how gray and hopeless everything is. That was another one that, you know, was clearly tied to a specific time, but is probably more relevant now than ever, globally speaking. It was the kind of thing that was speaking my exact feelings so perfectly that I couldn't help but laugh it made me feel better in a weird way which is you know kind of the point of comedy or at least a point of comedy
4: you're right old fellow oh i'm yes yeah sorry i'm just uh oh come on come on whatever it is i with it it can't be that bad i i just can't help feeling that you know my life is gray and hopeless gray and hopeless gray and hopeless whatever you do mean you know I, i look into the future and what do i see I don't know. What do you see? It's the blank rolling of the years, one after another, like... like grey, hopeless waves beating against my brain until the blood runs out of my ears. <laughs> oh, come on, now. Look at you. You've got a lovely wife. Well, you've got a wife. You've got, you've got a very pleasant house, three loving goldfish. I know, but... What, I mean, what does it mean? You know, we... we live in a doomed world. Oh, nonsense. What do you mean, doomed? Nobody likes anybody anymore. Nobody cares about anybody or anything. People go around hitting and stealing and stabbing and insulting. Cities are unbreathable. The countryside's a poisonous mess. You can get beaten up by a 12-year-old and ripped off by your neighbour. Well, I I grant you things aren't perfect, but but I mean... There are no certainties anymore. It's just battle lines. There's no pleasure in anything except after getting drunk or high on dangerous drugs supplied by maniacs with machine guns? Well, it's a, it's a grim old world, all right, but surely it's always been like... I mean, films and music are crap. Books are crap. <laughs> <laughs> Streets are so full you can't walk in a town without getting pushed off the pavement. Roads are unusable. Trains are a bloody joke. <laughs> the politicians are so feeble-minded and gutless you can't even hate them. <laughs> Even sport isn't that much fun anymore, is it? You smile at someone in the street, you're either you're either knifed in the kidneys or up in court for rape. Looking at a is like opening a fold of used lavatory papers. Turn on the television, you're sprayed in coloured vomit. It's frigging useless, isn't it? We're done for. We're shagged. We're absolutely shagged. Grey and hopeless. No pleasure, no prospect, no future. Nothing. Just grey, hopeless hell. Jesus.
0: Oh, Christ, (laughs) Jesus.
4: Well, first of all, my colleague and I would like to welcome you to a brand spanking new series of (laughs) A Bit of Flying Lorry, a show that tries to put a bit of jolliness back into the darker corners of modern Britain but doesn't. Mm. <laughs> I did think of
3: you. I hope that's oh, okay no. to say.
2: <laughs> that's not
3: terribly flattering. No, stuff, I, but <laughs> I, I didn't think... Well, I thought about, like, I wonder if she'll bring this up because of the way that you were, oh, like... right, because
2: you knew we were going to be talking about it, not like, oh, I bet my friend Kaylee is feeling this way.
3: Well, I mean, yeah. look, in, in a time where there are so few things going on that are good, um, you know, mm-hmm. watching something that I know you're watching, it, it you know, for, for yes. me to make the jump of like, oh, wait till Kaylee sees this, doesn't seem Fair so out.
2: insulting, does it? Like, it, it, I don't know. No, no, I feel I, like I I seriously forgot that. This- <laughs> When you said you thought of me, I just immediately took it as an insult, like, oh, I'm your Eeyore. Not like, oh, I'm your podcast co-host that you're definitely going to be talking about this show with. Yes, yes. Fair enough. That's that's legit.
3: But yeah, no, I just wrote down the quote. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead. We're dead. And yeah, it's very easy to go into that mode when you just start listing things. But then I love how they spring up and welcome everybody to the new season. It's like, carry on.
2: Yeah. One more favorite sketch. I really loved the song from The Pilot Mystery.
3: I don't remember
2: any of it. Oh god. Okay, so it's it's just Hugh alone at the piano singing a song and he's like, "Mystery. My love for you is a mystery." And like it's just the perfect comedy song because it builds and gets more and more ridiculous. <laughs>
0: a mystery, you and I were never ever meant to be, it's why I call my love for you a mystery. Different country, you and I have always lived in a different country. Tickets don't grow on a tree. <laughs> so what kept us apart is plain for me to see. That much at least is not really a mystery. <laughs> estuary. <laughs> I live in a houseboat on an estuary. <laughs> for my work with the Thames Water Authority <laughs> But I knew you would have found it Insanitary Insanitary Taken a violent dislike to me I'd be foolish to ignore the possibility That if we'd ever actually met You might have hated me Still, that's not the only problem That I can see Dead since 1973 You've been dead now Wait a minute, let me see Fifteen years come next January As a human being, you are history (laughs) So why do I still long for you? Why is my love so strong for you? Why did I write this song for you? Well, I guess it's just a mystery
2: I feel like all of my crushes have been dead since 1973. (laughs) If Fry as Michael Jackson was my most relatable fry moment, then Laurie singing mystery was my most relatable Laurie moment. <laughs> That's
3: really, really funny. I hadn't thought of it that way. Oh, yeah. The last cocktail they make on the last episode is a modern Britain. It's like an old-fashioned but with a twist. Malt whiskey, apple juice, London gin, Jersey cream, half-quart of soft, still Welsh mountain water, a shamrock, a daffodil, a thistle, and a rose. Add flat cola-style syrup, low-calorie brand sweetener, a pot of non-dairy whitener, a sachet of instant heritage, a two-parent family-sized pack of diluted good values, free market vegetables, a greedy helping of self-governing trusts, and a plastic ice cube for cosmetic purposes. Kaylee, what was going on there? Because throughout the show, there are definitely jokes about... Thatcher and there's the woman on the street saying you know we cried when she was chased out of office and then my husband and I went outside and did a ritual sacrifice so I feel like I understand which side of things these two dudes are coming down on. I don't know enough about Britain at that time to understand where it was left when John Major entered but like this well, show just ends on such a doomsday sort of note and he says something like it's all over. I
2: mean I think that it's safe to say if you've got a very short shitty conservative politician everybody hates and then somebody from their cabinet takes over as as the prime minister or you know the the leader of the country whatever that looks like it's not gonna be good then
3: yes I understand why this was the drink they ended on
2: (laughs) yeah I really did enjoy this show even though as I said I wasn't necessarily a hundred (laughs) percent mentally like as as able to enjoy it as I think I otherwise would have liked to be But, uh, it's really fun, and I think similar to what we said about French and Saunders, or even what we said about just Don French in The Vicar of Dibley before we had fully warmed to the show, these two performers, and particularly the two of them in combination, are just so winning and watchable that it's just always fun to to see them do their thing.
3: I had a great time with them, and someday we'll be able to watch sketch comedy and, uh, understand it because it shouldn't be hard to understand
1: (laughs) but someday when when the
3: weight of the world is lifted off our shoulders and we are no longer sitting back drinking modern Britons (laughs) it'll be easier
2: to follow we are going to be returning next week for another episode on still game oh yes let's see how our brains function during that one (laughs) I have a feeling that I may require subtitles just just making a prediction here oh yeah for sure subtitles
3: all the way I, I tried showing an episode to my mom and there was a point where halfway through she went, I don't I don't know anything that's happening or anything these people are saying. And I put the closed captioning <laughs> on for her, but
2: and part that of means its charm, that I'm going to be very, very happy about that. Because <laughs> the, the more incomprehensible, the more rosé you need. That is my bag, baby. And uh, speaking of rosé, I feel like we should close with a cocktail No? Ooh, that's a great idea! Oh yeah, okay, so, so to make an Anglophilia, you will need a bottle of friendship aged 19 years, poured into two enthusiastic hosts, a splash of unbridled feminine desire, A sprinkling of pirated YouTube clips, a fruitless search for porn parodies, and, to top it off, a shticky attempt to quote or otherwise channel a beloved British comedy. Now, Stephanie, neither of us plays the piano. But that said, will you play? (laughs) Soupy twist.